Hi, welcome to another episode of the Carolyn Glick Middle East News Hour. I'm really thrilled this week because we're joined by a very special guest, uh, a member of Knesset Amichai Shikli from the Amina faction. And uh, first of all, uh, honorable member of Knesset Amichai Shikli, uh, say hello to our audience. Hello, good evening, everyone. Good evening, Caroline. It's a pleasure Thanks to so be much. here. Uh, we're so glad to have you here. Um, so you may be thinking, all of you off in the, the world of podcasts, why is Carolyn Glick talking to a member of uh, Yamina's uh, Knesset faction? After all, Prime Minister uh, Naftali Bennett from the Yamina party uh, presented himself as a ideological right winger to the right of Likud, and yet uh, to form a government with uh, a seven member faction. Um, he formed the most radical government Israel has ever seen with the uh, 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 Islamist Ram party and with the uh, post-Zionist or anti-Zionist uh, Meretz party and labor party. Um, and so why is Carolyn talking about Michai? And I'll tell you why. It's because he is the one holdout from Yamina of the seven member faction that refused to join the party because he didn't want to betray his voters. So obviously he's a man after my own heart and he should be uh, as somebody that you guys all are, are, are acquainted with because he's, he's truly a great patriot. So um, Amichai, I wanted to start uh, by speaking today about what happened um, after the elections and even before the elections, uh, the last elections, I believe that they were in March, was that right? March of uh, this year? And uh, you were number five on uh, Naftali Bennett's list, uh, which was a very safe seat. Um, and you got in. Uh, and um, during the campaign, then Prime Minister Netanyahu was saying that Naftali Bennett was going to leave the right. Did, did you think that there was any truth to that? Did you have any inkling that this could happen? Well, absolutely no. I was completely sure that we are going to create a, a right-wing uh, government, as we mentioned hundreds and hundreds of times. The most uh, interesting thing was that a week before the election, we started to see a decline in the polls uh, that we made for Yamina, and there was a great tension. And the strategic deci decision of Naftali Bennett was to break to the right to keep it safe, maybe to lose some voters from the center, but to keep it right and very, very strong. And then he made interviews from the car, in the street, with Boaz Golan on channel 20, the right wing channel. And he said repeatedly, time after time after time, there is no scenario, not in rotation, not in mutation, that we will join a government that will led that will be led by Ayr Lapid as prime minister. Absolutely no way. And we've heard from and we had Yamina, uh, we, uh, that uh, initiated uh, to uh, say that uh, Ra'am, the Islamist party, should be banned from the Knesset. So uh, they went to the uh, committee that deals with these issues and said that's a pro-terrorist list. And Naftali Bennett was actually the most radical speaker against Mansour Abbas and Ram among the entire uh, uh, national camp or the right wing, far more radical than Naftali Bennett. And even from uh, me myself, I said, I don't know Ram that much. I don't know Mansour Abbas that much. I don't think he's that radical. Now I think differently, yeah? But back then I said, I don't think he's, but he said, 
Ram is Hamas, mm-hmm. and we will never ever. And I and and he, he had this document saying to Netanyahu, sign here. I will never sit with Mansour Abbas in the coalition. Never. So I I believed him. I believed him. It, 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 I don't know. It's uh, it was very very weird to me uh, what happened. And it, I can explain it now, but back then it seems uh, inconceivable. I agree with you. You know, I, I, I don't know whether all of our viewers know, but uh, Amichai and I were colleagues on Naftali Bennett's list. You know, Israel had four uh, successive electoral campaigns that all ended mm-hmm. inconclusively beginning in April of 2019. And in that uh, election, uh, I was running with Naftali Bennett uh, and, uh, and Amichai was running on the same list. And we have known each other for many years. And we'll talk about that as well, uh, what you did before you became a politician. Um, but, um, you know, I, I I came away from that race. We uh, Yamina, or what it was called at the time, the new writer, the Yamina Hadash never even got elected. It, it was 1,500 vote short of crossing the threshold of four seats. Um, but uh, I came away from that election with with really, um, I had been friends with Naftali Bennett for a decade before that. And I I came away from there not, not respecting him and not liking him personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kept my distance from him after that. I didn't want to have anything to do with him. Um, but even though I stopped respecting him and stopped sort of believing in him, I, I never, I, I really hadn't thought that he had it in him to actually betray everything that he claimed he stood for. So, you know, I, I, I get it, you know, it, it was a shock. So when you look back at it, what is your explanation? How do you, do you think that the writing was on the wall the whole time? And, and we just failed to read it because we, we were naive. Well, no, I think that we maybe underestimated the temptation of being prime minister. What is the power of this temptation? Um, it reminded me a, a little bit the the movie film uh, uh, Lord of the Ring. Um, <laughs> My precious. Yeah, when you should stand in, um, against the power of the ring that gives you enormous power, but you should not. Uh, use it for your own uh, uh, desires. And that's one thing. And the other one um, I thought is more serious in terms of ideology, but it seems when looking at it backwards that the ideology roots are very, very shallow. It is, it, it, it's not going deep. Is a little bit of Yair Lapid right-wing style, saying the right thing at the right time, but don't really mean it. He's not a person of books. When I asked him, you know, have you heard about, you read the, the, the essays of Avishai Ben Chaim. Have you had the tremendous book of Gadi Taub, Nayadim uh, Nayachim? How do you translate that? It's movable and immovable. And, and Gadi so Taub, yeah. right, he divides, he divides humanity basically between the jet setters who are who have are the internationalists and the nationalists? Basically, it's just a different taxonomy for the same thing. There's people who are attached to the countries that they live in, and people who are post post nationalists who think that the nation state is antiquated and um, just don't just don't have the same cultural 
connection to their own people that most of the people who live in their countries have. And Avishai Ben Chaim, who you were talking about, is a uh, sort of a sociologist, and he's put a lot of time and effort into thinking through um, the social rifts in Israel between what he calls the first Israel, which are sort of the ruling class of the uh, 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 the, um, historically Ashkenazic uh, Jews who who founded the country from the Labor Party and then from even the Likud Party, um, and the people who came from North Africa and from Arab countries um, after the founding of the country, who who for a long time were treated uh, as second class citizens, and so he's he's made the division. His taxonomy is between the first Israel and the second Israel. So I told Naftali Bennett, look, even if you're not. If, if you're not agree with the Avishai Ben Chaim totally or Gadi Taub totally, their um, perception, their their uh, views, which pretty much uh, fit to one another, and they they create a, a more um, wider and, and deeper picture of Israel political re- socio socio political reality. These are very important ideas. Do, do you get these ideas? What do you think about it? And then he said, I don't care about Avishai Ben Chaim and Gadi Taub. And I said to him, look, even if you don't agree with them completely, don't underestimate their ideas. It is very, very serious if you want to understand what's going on. And uh, when I realized that you, you really do not respect them, you do not respect their ideas, the views, I understood that we have a... Uh, a serious problem. And that was uh, after the election when there was uh, a dilemma whether to go to this uh, center-left government or to go to the opposition uh, with the Likud. I don't know. I, I, I think you're right. I think he's very shallow. And I think you're right also. That's actually a good good comparison of him being the right-wing version of, of Yair Lapid, because no. Yair Lapid, you know, Gadi calls him a postmodern politician, that, mm-hmm. you know, words have no meaning, ideas have no meaning, and it's all just, you know, sound bites and whatever Image. sounds good. It's Image. all about Right. It's all image making. It's all sound bites. It's what makes you sound smart. It's make it makes you look smart. And I remember I used to think back when Yair Lapid was writing for for the newspapers here. He's the head of the Yeshatid party, which is the largest faction in the government. He's going to take over from Naftali if the government survives in two, two years and or a year and a half and be the be the prime minister. And he's now the foreign minister. And it's essentially this is his government and, and Naftali with his six member faction is just a figurehead. And that also, by the way, goes to the, your whole concept of the Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, you, you get the ring of power, but basically you're a slave of the dark forces. And here with Naftali, I mean, nobody respects him. They just, uh, they just published on the news this evening that Joe Biden has refused to take his calls for the past three weeks while these uh, crazy uh, negotiations with the Iranians are going on in, in Vienna. And you know some very serious things are happening here. Uh, Naftali can't get get the U.S. president to speak to him, and um, you know he 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 can't get his cabinet to agree with any of his policies on on Corona. So he just goes after the weak guy, and um, it it's uh, it's really stunning. I mean he he has he has the uh, title, but he has he he lacks the, mm-hmm, the power, absolutely. the political power to do anything. I mean, did do you think that he could have foreseen this? Did you foresee just what a week? Did you talk to him about what a weak prime minister he would be if he 
form the Mahom, government? Yeah. Uh, look, the day after the election, I wrote on Twitter a story from the Gemara. It was very popular, thousands of likes on this Gemara story about the long... The Gemara, the by the way, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is, is the Talmud. Yeah. It's, it's Jewish yeah. oral law. So, so there's the long, there's a key, uh, there's a guy and he's going into a, a city and there's a child sitting on a rock and he asks him, how can I get to the city in the fastest way? And then the, the boy says, there is the short and the long way and there is the long and the short way. And Naftali Bennett picked the short and the long way. And that's exactly what happened. And we, we had a conversation and I told them, look, you're gonna have the title of prime minister, but it would be fake. Would you be able to say to Lieberman to obey to your policy? No way. Would you be able on foreign policy to make sure that Yair Lapid will obey your policy when he's twice or three times the power of Yamina? Benny Gantz is stronger than Yamina. Ram, if they're out, you don't have a government. So you are basically, you, you got nothing to do. It, it just, that's not the rules of the game. You must have a massive support of public opinion in order to be a prime minister. You cannot be a prime minister in a functioning democracy with seven seats in the Knesset. It just doesn't work. And what did he and, say to you when you said that to him? I mean, obviously he didn't agree because he did he, it. And now he's a powerless prime minister with six seats. The way he thinks is you see the target and the target is clearly Naftali Bennett, prime minister. It is a personal target. And then he arranged the reality around this target, that's it. Everything will should fit his own personal target. Got nothing to do with ideology, nothing. That's so, exactly what happened. When you told him that you weren't going with him, what was his response? So it was furious, uh, but you, you, you told me that you will support us no matter what, ta 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 ta. I said, sure, I would support you, but I, I'm supporting you based on, on whatever you said before, based on your ideology. I truly supported you. 24 hours from a mechina to a mechina, from a high school to a high school, to 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 Maale Adumim, to Be'er Sheva, to Arad, to Ramat Golan, uh, for two months without salary, without nothing, leaving my, my work behind, my, my, my life behind. My family, everything. But the moment you're telling me that all your promises, the core promises from the election, everything, Negev, the young settlements in Judea and Samaria, fighting protection, fighting radical Islam. And you're saying that's, that's all we move away national issues will move away and we will create this kind of a, a kumbaya, a, let's sit together, everyone. And, and I, I'm sorry, that's not my ideology, ideology and that's 
as far as I remember, that's not your, your ideology. So I cannot follow you now. Have you this spoken is not a club fan, and you are not Michael Jackson. You are a political leader. If you are abandoning your ideology, you really you are ir irrelevant for me. So, have you? Ha how many times do you think you've spoken with him since he formed the government without you? How many conversations do you think you've ah, had? From the moment, no, we had a major, major personal crisis uh, during the operation in Gaza because I was in Miluim. You were in the was, reserves, you were in the military. Yeah, in the reserve, in the what, army. What's your job there? I was the company commander responsible for the rescue force of Golani mm -hmm. Brigade. And uh, it was a few days, maybe a week after uh, I uh, sent a letter to him, a public letter saying, think again, what do we have to do with the back flags movement? radical progressive movement. What about all our promises? What about us joining the banning you, of the- You did this, you did this from, from reserve duty or did this when after no, the, was, after the operation was, was over? Before, uh, it was the morning after the uh, ultimatum for Netanyahu to form a government has passed away. And, th and then I said, okay, so if, so now it's, it's in Lapid's hands. So, uh, so I'm, I'm sending the letter. And then there was the, the operation, Miluim. And then he asked me to uh, meet personally. And he says, uh, I couldn't meet him uh, straight away. So after the operation, we had a meeting straight after the operation. And then he said, this uh, center-left Ram-based coalition is irrelevant. It's off the table, I promise you. I have only one request. Do not speak on um, the media at all. I told him, okay, I won't speak. And you know, it was a, a big buzz because of the letter and the media was, uh, they wanted to interview me 24 seven. It was really the, 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 the mess. And then I said, okay, I'm not speaking to anyone. Um, I took one interview on the Saturday night show about the operation and, and said, okay, it's, it's, it's a little bit sadder. It's not okay. I said, okay, okay, I'm sorry. And then after a few days, I saw on Telegram a push from the journalist Amit Segal saying- He's Israel's top uh, political reporter. For, yeah, for the, yeah, that the negotiation for center-left Iran-based coalition is- very, very, uh, it's moving uh, ahead. Uh, it, it's really advanced. And I said to Naftali on WhatsApp, you lied to me in the most aggressive way possible. Pure lie. And that's it. From, from, from this moment on, the relationship is different. And I said, okay, I have no trust in Naftali Bennett. I don't see him as, as a man of a word that I can trust. On the personal level, mm -hmm. not just the national level. Right. And and have you spoken with him since? Only once. It was it was uh, related to the bill of uh, citizenship. It was a very dramatic night in the Knesset. I originally supported the bill, um, banning uh, Palestinians 
from uh, uniting families with uh, Arab families in the Negev or the Arab sector. Uh, it is a very important bill that was formed back in 2003, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. uh, after the Intifada. And uh, I said, I said it even on the radio, I will vote with the coalition for the bill 100%. I don't care about the opposition and their, what they think, and I will vote um, with the coalition for the bill. But then uh, two things happened. First, they turn it into a trust. Uh, but no confidence. Trust. Yeah. So I said, okay, that's that's basically to vote against my uh, belief. Uh, I'm against the government and I'm not going to go back from it. So that was one major problem. And the second one was the negotiation that started around um, 11, 12, until the middle of the night, until 3 a.m. And we had a very foggy information about what's going on in the negotiation with Ram and Meretz. We knew that they said that the bill should be changed in, in, uh, in 90 days from, from the vote and the changes will be made with the uh, agreement with the Ram and Meretz. The two anti-Zionist factions in the government. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and let also me just give our let me just give our viewers just a second uh, an sure, overview but, about what about yeah. the citizenship law. So, so the thing is, is that uh, in the 1990s, um, under the aegis of the Oslo peace process, you had tens and tens of thousands of Palestinians who were receiving Israeli citizenship by marrying Israeli Arabs, and um, you know, a, a lot of these were fake marriages, or they were they were polygamous marriages with with the Bedouin in the Negev, and so people men have, you know, um, multiple wives, and um, it was a way of massively increasing uh, the Israeli Arab population in an attempt to to overwhelm Israel. And another aspect of it, which was the main subject of the of the law and the amended uh, citizenship law, was that it was a security threat because mm -hmm. the the uh, it, it, you know over over a period of those two years where we were having massive uh, terrorism uh, attacks by the Palestinians against Israelis, you had a disproportionate number of Israeli Arabs that were involved in these terrorist attacks who were the children of Palestinians who had uh, um, been the, the progeny of these mixed marriages between Arab Israelis and Palestinians. And so uh, the then interior minister, um, Eli Ishai got the government to amend the law, but it was a temporary amendment that has to be updated every or reapproved by the Knesset every every six months. So since then, until Naftali Bennett founded this government with the uh, Hamas uh, Islamist party and with um, the Meretz anti-Zionist party, um, we always had governments that uh, and and coalitions in the Knesset, which were 61 plus votes, uh, that were all Zionist, and there was no question that it would be automatically passed. But the big, the big test of this government was that it doesn't have uh, 61 Zionist votes, um, and therefore it can't pass the law without help from the opposition. And so that was the thing. And and initially the promise had been that it would be passed 
as it is, as as it has been since 2003. And then what Amichai is telling us, the wranglings at the last minute of, of what was supposed to pass. Um, so go on. Yeah, and they agreed that uh, they will give immediately 3,000 uh, license uh, authorization to Palestinians who are already in Israel, but they don't have any status. But they, so well, they're they illegal. Them, yeah. So um, the most interesting thing about this bill is that basically, okay, so you failed one vote, but you can bring it to the... Uh, Vadat Sarim le Hakika, the cabinet, you can bring it to the cabinet sec secretary's legislative legislative every, every Sunday. But it's it's it basically in Israel, it's a weird thing, but most of the legislation in the Knesset is actually originated in this ministerial committee on legislation because of the parliamentary system. So most of it go, it's all goes through the coalition. And so it's this it's this weekly meeting that they have. Uh, where they go through the legislation that they want to advance through the Knesset legislative yeah. process. So, so this committee um, uh, sits together every Sunday and they are bringing the laws. And Ayelet Shaked mentioned the day after, oh, if Shikli would have told me the truth, which I told her, by the way, at the middle of the night, I'm not going to support. I didn't decide whether to uh, uh, not vote or against. But I said, I'm not going to support the law. Uh, that's for sure. And then she said, unless Shikli, I would take someone from Ra'am because they didn't vote everyone. I, one member uh, of Knesset from Ra'am and we will pass it easily, easily. But months have passed and they never brought the law again. Why? Because Ra'am said, you didn't... Um, uh, did your uh, part in the uh, agreement. You didn't authorize all these Palestinian families uh, as you promised us. And now we're not going to vote with you on this bill. So they have a huge problem and they they need the opposition. And I hopefully we will pass the bill with the opposition and without them, um, we'll see what's going on in the future. But that was the last conversation with Naftali Bennett. It's It's... Well, it, unfortunately, it's understandable. My last conversation with Naftali Bennett uh, was also uh, prior was mine was prior to his big break. And he was he just lied to me and and like he lied to you. And uh, after that, I saw absolutely no reason to reach out to him, because how can you? I mean, even if he tells you what you want to hear, you can't believe him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got no word anymore. Um, and and so now you have this anomalous anomalous situation in the Knesset where you're formally still a member of Yamina Party mm -hmm. and you sit with them in the plenary sessions in the in the Knesset and so you're one of the most vocal members of the opposition and you're surrounded. I see on uh, television <laughs> that there you are surrounded yeah. almost like a like a like a tiger in a little nice cage. on the votes with the yeah. with yeah. a red yeah. in the middle of the green. Right. It, it's really, it's like this one, it's this, it's this, it's this outpost of, uh, of sanity, yeah. but you're, you're sitting there like a, like a caged lion, you know, with all of these people around you. I mean, how does that, how does that feel? I mean, what, what goes through your mind? I would, I would be so uncomfortable, you know? No. So first of all, on the personal level, there are very nice people in the coalition and I sit next to, um, 
מיכאל ביטון and אמילי מואטי and they are very warm and kind people and so on the personal level that's it's 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 a non-issue okay um on the ideological uh, dimension um i'm always reminding myself the true game is out of the building it's in the streets so and i don't i, I don't think that Gidon Saar and Naftali Bennett understand it. They think, oh yeah, we have beaten the chess game against Netanyahu in the Knesset Hall or Bamizdronot, I would say. In the hallways of power. The in the hallways of the Knesset. But you have lost the streets. So, well, uh, well, you certainly, well, you certainly have gained them, but I, I mean, it, because people feel rightly feel betrayed. But you know, you you get uh, government funding, you get government jobs, you get mm -hmm. lots of goodies that you get to get to, you know, pass yeah, out. Like uh, car, you have this uh, like police stuff on the head of the car or chakalakot. Yeah, you get all of these perks, and uh, mm -hmm. and membership has its privileges. And when you're not a member, you don't get those privileges. So, mm -hmm. you know, as evidenced by the lovely hotel room that they put you up mm -hmm. in tonight, because you <laughs> live far away from the Knesset. Um, but uh, so in the meantime, are you have your parliamentary work? And mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, I was honored to participate in a conference that you held there. Um, about the BDS movement, the anti-Semitic boycott, divestment mm -hmm. and sanctions movement against Israel. And this week you were supposed to have a conference uh, today actually uh, mm -hmm. that I was planning on just going to, but it wasn't uh, carried out because uh, they placed all of these uh, limitations on Knesset uh, activities due to the new- In a very Omicron. interesting timing, by the way. Right, so talk, well, first of all, let's let's just say what, what was the, uh, conference um let me just get the uh it was a it was about the EU look it was it was the the background of the conference how two major campaigns held by basically the EU with more European countries such as Switzerland Norway Sweden and one campaign is uh, seller violence equals state violence Settler violence equals state violence, yeah. Yeah, you have an entire website of Betselem uh, with this uh, headline. And basically, the idea is to delegitimize any Jewish presence in Judea and Samaria. And that's one of the moves of the EU in their strategy to establish a Palestinian state in the next five or 10 years. And the other move is massive projects of uh, construction uh, of new uh, villages and new neighborhoods uh, all over Judea and Samaria, mainly in area C, mainly in area C. And that's the other part of it. It's like a flank move to delegitimize any Jewish presence in Judea and Samaria to build heavily uh, for the Palestinians Basically, if you take the EU out of the conflict, the Palestinian Authority would be finished in several months. They have no power on the street. The power is uh, or the, the big tribes, the big Hamulot, like Ja'abri and Hebron, or Hamas. The uh, PLO is weaker than ever, and uh, it, held, it is being held by the money 
of the EU and other European you know, I think I think that here I think that here it's important to, to sort of put in a couple of parenthetical remarks. So the first one is that I, I may have spoken about it in last week's show, but it, it still bears repeating because I think it's stunning, which is that the Italian government just released documents that um, show uh, uh, that prove that the in the 1970s, the Aldo Moro government of, Indi of I Italy signed a deal or concluded a deal with the PLO, which said that the Italians would turn a blind eye to PLO terrorist operations in Italy. Um, and in exchange, uh, they wouldn't kill anybody who wasn't Jewish. And so there were a number of terrorist attacks. Uh, the two most notable one was a terrorist attack in, in the Bologna train station in, in 1980 where you had almost 100 people killed um, and the uh, and the government immediately attributed it to um, a fascist organization, even though they knew that it was the PFLP, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, because they they were covering up for the PLO. And then in 1982 on Rosh Hashanah, there was a bombing outside of the main synagogue in, in Rome and uh, and a Jewish boy who was two years old was was killed in the bombing. And the Italians had been tipped off by the PLO before they carried it out. And uh, the police car that was outside of the of the synagogue left the scene a half an hour before the bombing. And then uh, there was another one, which was a 1986 uh, PLO bombings of the LL counters in Vienna and in Rome. And here, too, the Italians were tipped off ahead of time. And here, too, they did nothing. If you add to that the 1985 hijacking of the Achille Lauro uh, uh, ship, uh, wow. uh, cruise yeah, ship. Yeah, well, so, so actually, I started with two, and I've reached four already. And the Italians turned a blind eye to all of these things. And, and the G Germans had similar uh, deals, and the French as well. And the point is that going very, very far back, um, the, the PLO has operated in partnership in various forms with the EU. And what we've seen very clearly over the past 20 years since the Palestinians began their terror war against Israel at the end of the, when, when they refused to make peace at Camp David in, in July of 2000, mm -hmm. is that the major actor in a very key aspect of the PLO's operations, their political war against Israel, is the, is the EU, that they've been funding to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, the these very radical NGOs that are both either Israeli or or Palestinian, and um, that are carrying out concerted campaigns to delegitimize Israel's counterterror operations, to delegitimize uh, the Israeli military, to delegitimize uh, Israelis who live in Judea and Samaria, and and unified Jerusalem and what what Amichai is saying. So their latest campaign, there are two basically. The first one is settler violence. And if you Google the term settler violence, I, I did before before having this conversation with Amichai, um, you see just dozens and dozens of pages. They're all from left-wing websites, whether it's Peace Now or B'Tselem or any number of other ones. And they're all sort of following the same talking points. And lo and behold, 
If you go to the government registrar of nonprofits or to NGO Monitor, which is an organization that monitors this stuff, mm -hmm. you see that all of these organizations are funded and there's specific campaigns against settler violence are funded by uh, EU member nations. And last month at the Knesset in late November, um, the- Apartheid. Right. Oh, it's a, right. Oh, so that was the first one is settler violence. And the second one is to call Israel as an apartheid state. And the convergence between the two, of course, is that they want to delegitimize Israel completely, our very existence. And that's been ongoing since. Israel will be uh, delegitimized as a Jewish state. Judea and Samaria will be the delig delegitimized from Jewish presence, physical presence. And that's exactly the vision of the most radical Arab parties. And this is nothing less than a war uh, held by diplomatic uh, means and, and, and a lot of money, but it's a war. And um, my um, goal was to create an event that says, okay, I'm not gonna play the game that the EU, got nothing to do with it. And they are just a friendly um, friendly uh, state or uh, organization. And I'm saying, okay, if you are funding B'Tselem and you are funding Breaking the Silence and you are funding campaigns saying that half million Jews that lives in Judea and Samaria are all violent. Including me, including me. Yeah, yeah, and Israel is an apartheid state. That's, that's not being a friend. That's, that's not diplomacy. Uh, that's a, a huge problem. And even if you look at the, at the violent clashes between settlers and uh, Arabs in Judea and Samaria, you would see a pattern. There would be radical left organizations coming mainly on Shabbat morning because it's like their volunteer uh, time. Yeah, that's their trumala the contribution to community. <laughs> so they would take the car from Tel Aviv uh, some uh, radical uh, left fanatics, and they will go to Susia or to Itzhar, and they will, uh, following with Palestinians, they will attack uh, uh, settlers or uh, settlers' property. And, and then if settlers will, will um, fight back, they will put it on video, and then they will say, hey, settlers' violence, oh my God. That's usually the case, and yes, we do have um, some, let's say, asavim shotim. Yeah, we have some radical groups that we need to deal with, and we are against any form of violence coming from from uh, citizens whatsoever. But this is so, so, so tiny and so small, small portion of the majority, the vast majority of the settlers. So it's ridiculous to go with this campaign, especially when you see the Palestinian violence throwing stones, hundreds of cases, and uh, uh, Molotov's attacks, and, and fighting, we just said, it was, last week, it was insane. At the beginning of the week, we had a minister from the Labour Party saying, oh yeah, we have a problem with settler violence, and he said it to the Deputy of the Foreign Minister of America. It was insane. The Under Secretary of State Victoria Newland, who is no friend yeah. of Israel. So I said, "What? You 
no, it's mean, actually, it's actually worse than that. I mean, I, I think that we have to underline just how bad it is. So you have this massive propaganda campaign. You have Jews being sort of prodded to respond, like they're goaded into violence by the very people who are accusing, who are carrying out violence and who are who are legitimizing Palestinian terrorism. So they come, they provoke Jews on the Sabbath and religious Jews. And then if the Jews dare to defend themselves, they're there with their cameras and Jews aren't allowed to use cameras on Shabbat, observant Jews. So they can't be, there's no, there's no equality here. You can't do anything to defend yourself on camera on Shabbat. And mm -hmm. then they come and, and they provoke these, these fights. Then they use them to, uh, to both incite against and to incriminate innocent people who they've been harassing. And, the, and, and this is a huge international campaign. It's being funded to the tunes of millions and millions of dollars in euros, not only by the EU, but by places like the New Israel Fund, the Ford Foundation, and other American NGOs and, and, and charitable foundations, radical foundations. And, um, and then you have the number three person at the State Department, the Under Secretary of State, Victoria Newland, came to Israel. She met with the police minister, the Minister of Internal Security, Omer Barlev, who himself is a radical leftist, mm -hmm. and complained to him about, she wanted him to tell her about settler violence. So this imaginary story, this provoked violence, which is, as you say, marginal to begin with, and it's mm -hmm. nothing in comparison. I mean, I'm just looking at the data now, you know, in 2020, there were 1,500 instances of, of of rocks being thrown at Israelis in the in in Judea and Samaria. I mean, they're only 365 days in the year, so you're talking about uh, on average about five rock attacks a day. You have 229 attacks by Molotov cocktails, so that's you know once every every day and a half. You have 31 instances of of uh, of shooting instances. You have nine stabbings. You have, I mean, this is the this is this is a daily occurrence. This kind of Palestinian terrorism, and yet nothing is said of that. Just last week, we had uh, on Wednesday night or Thursday night, Yehuda Diamentman, who was murdered in an ambush uh, on his way to his yeshiva in, in Samaria. So you have real world consequences to this incitement and uh, to the demonization of Jews. They, they do it because they figure they can get away with it anyway. Um, and the, yeah. and the undersecretary of state- are, These campaigns are a modern blood label, yeah, nothing they, less than a modern- yeah. yeah, and, and, and uh, I think it's, it's disturbing to see that these kind of ideologies coming from Europe, I thought we, have, we, have, we had enough with anti-Semitism coming from Europe, but uh, the, the reality is that it's not over yet. And that was the idea of the conference to say, yes, we wanna be friend with the EU. Yes, we wanna be friend with Norwegia, with Sweden, with, with, we, want, we wanna be friend, but friendship means stop promoting these lies, this fanatic agenda, pro-Palestinian uh, radical, anti-Semite agenda. What's wrong with you? You know, it, it it's so it's so disturbing. And so what happened though? I mean, first of all, the the So uh, at the beginning there was a huge pressure to put the, the words 
the EU out of the name of the conference. Don't put the EU in the name of, because we called it the radical left and the EU as the engine of violence in Judea and Samaria. That right. was the, the, the idea. And then they said, okay, you can do your conference, but take the EU outside well, of it. Who said that to you? It came from uh, the, the office of the mayor of the Knesset, Mickey Levy. Yeah, the, would, the, the speaker the of the Knesset. Knesset. The speaker of the Knesset. Dover? No, he's not the Dover. He's no, but it's the but the but the the English term, it's like Nancy Pelosi okay. is the speaker I'll, of the mm -hmm. house, but that doesn't mean okay, that she's sure, the whatever. The speaker of the Knesset. So and and there was a very uh let's say it was not just him, but it was also the conference department of the Knesset. Say, oh, we don't want to deal with the with the Europeans. It's we want to be on the safe side. And I said, I'm sorry, we insist. There was a campaign um, in the <laughs> pressure coming from the um, social media. Naturally, it was not a planned campaign. Yeah, it's just people said, what what's going on? We're a democracy. Um, and then they uh, basically said, okay. Let's do it. But then there was the Corona, and they locked down the Knesset to conferences, and we we could not we could not uh, hold the conference as planned. Even though the Knesset is in session. Yeah, and it's only in the Knesset. Yeah, the conferences all over the state. Yeah, so it's all very fishy. But I think that you're right. I mean, the 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 EU was uh, clearly very upset that anyone would uh, dare. To point a finger at it, and 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 I think that that's really a key point here, is that it you is. know it, it's, you, we, it's a big deal when you have these countries that are ostensibly friendly uh, to Israel, um, and they're not at all friendly. Uh, Tuvia mm -hmm. Tannenbaum, who I, I don't did you have you have you met the uh, sure, author? Sure. Yes. I know him. <laughs> so so Tuvia Tannenbaum is a is a sort of a, a provocateur, and <laughs> he. Like and and an author, and so he goes into all of these places, and he presents himself as uh, as Toby, a German reporter, and he elicits all of these. He's, he speaks perfect native German, and he he elicits the truth from people who wouldn't want to tell you the truth if they knew that your name was Tuvia Tenenbaum and that you were a Jewish guy. So he wrote a book several years ago called Catch the Catch the Jew. Catch the Jew. And it was about the EU and their role in fomenting, and they're basically the principal engine of the violence here. Like you said at the outset, if it weren't for the EU, the Palestinian conflict with Israel would uh, would would be dwarfed in comparison mm -hmm. to what it is now. And uh, and and it it really you know was something how how open and candid all of these people were with him that indeed they are at war with the Jewish state. And so they hide, they hide behind all of these NGOs that wouldn't exist were it not for European Union money. Mm -hmm. And then these NGOs that they fund carry In Germany out the most, unlike Germany. Switzerland, Norwegia or Sweden, Germany would usually won't put her name as the state that gives money directly you would see organizations such as Bread for the World, and you would say, what is, what is Bread for the World? And then when you look at the website, you'd see the government uh, of Germany is funding 
bread for the world or the, the Rosa Luxembourg Foundation. What is the Rosa Luxembourg? And then you look at it and you see it's uh, one of the parties in the German uh, Congress, in Reichstag, which is now uh, on power, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the, the coalition there. And they are the one who are behind one of the most effective organization of the EU in Israel, standing together. Who is against to stand together? We are all for standing together. I, I personally but, like to bake bread, so I'm all yeah, for Yeah, yeah, and bread for the world. We are right. all- Why not? We want bread for the world. Uh, but these are extremely, extremely radical progressive organizations. Um, standing together, they are uh, the organization that is behind the protest against the na nation bill, Choka Leom. Uh, Israel is managed, a Jewish nation state law. It's a They managed law. to uh, drag the Druze to go against the law, which has got nothing to do with the Druze population, nothing against the Druze, but they made this campaign and they created a major conflict between the right wing and the Druze. And then they were standing uh, behind the uh, Ethiopian um, protest. protest. And they, and they, yeah, and, and, and they connected between the Ethiopians and Black Lives Matters. Zero connection. The Ethiopians brought to Israel in the most dangerous operations with the Mossad. They, we, we didn't brought them here as slaves from Africa to serve anyone. No, I think that- Just because was, they were Jews. It was Yitzhak Shamir who said that Israel is the only country that has taken black Africans out of Africa to liberate them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, standing together organization tried to um, say that basically they are just like the blacks in America and there's discrimination against them and the government is against them. And um, that's, and everything that goes on South Tel Aviv with the illegal immigrants, they have at least 10 organization, each organization around 3 million uh, shekel to 10 million shekel budget annually. And their entire goal is to make sure these illegal immigrants would stay, will flourish here and will create a shift in Israel demography in 10 years, in 20 years from now. And that's a total, an entire orchestra that plays to make sure that Israel is becoming um, from a nation state to a cosmopolitical democracy um, with a progressive agenda that runs it. So I'm just looking at standing together on, uh, on NGO, monitors uh, mm -hmm. website and mm -hmm. uh, and so you're saying that um, mm -hmm. that germany is their largest donor i don't see it was a luxembourg uh, foundation that's really something I, I and and the thing of it is that you know all of these organizations share share a lot of common ground but one of them mm -hmm. really is that they reject that that they're inherently anti-semitic because at the base of everything that they do is a fundamental rejection of the Jewish people's right to self-determination mm -hmm. in our in our homeland in Israel. Mm -hmm. And so and everything sort of emanates from that. And when you look at what the Europeans are doing, 
um, they're advancing this to its logical conclusion, which is genocide, right? I mean, because mm -hmm. they they or ethnic cleansing. So you have the German government, uh, along with France, uh, which was a Nazi collaborationist government under Vichy, and mm -hmm. the Norwegians also, and the Swedes, and the and the Danes, and and so on and so forth. And it's like they've come together again to advance their their work uh, through their new proxy, which is the Palestinians. And I mean, what are they asking for? They're asking for a Palestinian state that's Judenrein. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Adolf Hitler couldn't have, you know, couldn't have proposed, made a, made a better proposal if you wanted to be anti-Semitic. You're saying mm -hmm. all Jews have to be out. And by the way, uh, incidentally, uh, today, Mansour Abbas uh, who is Bennett's best buddy, you know, he doesn't have a government without him. He's the head of the ROM faction. He said, mm -hmm. apparently, I, I saw a report that as, as far as he can see, that uh, all Jews are going to be uh, thrown out of Judea and Samaria. So, um, you know, he, he envisions uh, uh, ethnic cleansing of all Jews from Judea and Samaria and, and presumably from, from Eastern and Southern and, and Northern Jerusalem as well. So yeah, that that's what we'll we're go to Am in a second. I just uh, to go back to the yeah. EU yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh, this kind of organization. Just one example to understand the philosophy, the ideology behind it. So there's these uh, uh, UN refugee agency, and I got this information from the Israeli Immigration Policy Center, uh, led by Yona Shelki, and he uh, introduced me into a quote from the UN Refugee Agency policy paper. And that's a quote. Um, one NGO worker argued that civil society organizations advocate a perception of universalist citizenship where everyone should have rights. They do not see nationality issue as relevant, but publicly it is not stated. Okay, because it's it's not very popular yet, but that's the philosophy uh, uh, behind the policy of these kind of organizations, uh, according to the, uh, in, and also the EU. Right. Well, I mean, because the EU itself, I mean, and 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 yeah. uh, and uh, one of the most important books I think that's been written about the nature of the EU is uh, is Yoram Chazoni's book, The Virtues of Nationalism, where he sets out very clearly that the the EU is an imperialist. Uh, undertaking. It's an imperialist enterprise. And it, is, you know. it, it uses soft power and money. Uh, we have no allegiance uh, of uh, Rome, but uh, we are dealing with an empire. Yeah, we are definitely dealing with an empire. And, and, and their first target is Israel, because the most the paradigmatic nation state is the nation of Israel. I mean, if Israel doesn't have a right to exist, and the Jews were the first nation to ever define themselves. We did it at, at Mount Sinai mm -hmm. um, with our own law, with our own history and with our own land, mm -hmm. um, with borders. And uh, if Israel isn't a nation state, then no one is a nation state. And, and you know, obviously there are parallel battles being fought in the United States. There are parallel battles being fought within the EU itself against countries like Hungary and Poland and the Czech Republic. Uh, that are, are fighting because they wanted their sovereignty when they were living under the Imperial Soviet Union. And they finally got it. And now as subjects of the European Union, they're being demand, you know, they're being required to give it up again and they don't want to. So, you know, you 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 see that it is a larger thing, but the fight against Israel 
I think is central to the fight. And, and you know, obviously you also have historical European anti-Semitism at play here, but you, but Israel is the apotheosis of the nation state to use another fancy word. I mean, the, the, we are, we are the nation state. And so if you, if mm -hmm. you, if you are able to destroy us, if you're able to convince the Israeli government to commit suicide, which may happen with the current one, and, and maybe when we follow it up with, with Ram and what you view as the significance of their participation in this government, mm -hmm. um, so, then you're done. Yeah. So maybe um, Israel, as you mentioned, it's the fortress of, of nationalism uh, in the region and also um, in Europe um, and in the world, Israel is an exception and Zionism is maybe one of the most successive um, uh, nationalist projects successful. in history. Yeah, successful successful. projects in history. Mm -hmm. So um, back to Ram, and when you speak about Europe and Ram, uh, it's remind me of the uh, term, the green and uh, red uh, axis. Mm -hmm. um, so the red is the progressive, which is like the new form of communist socialist ideas. Mm -hmm. and imperialist ideas, and then you have the green. The greens are not the Arabs. The green is the Ihwan, the Islamic Brotherhood. Muslim and Brotherhood. They walk, yeah, the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. And they walk together. And I mean, Saudi is not a good example because it's not ruled by the Ihwan. And uh, Bahrain, Morocco, and the UAE, they are not good examples. They are not run by the Ikhwan. This, that's the moderate Sunni um, alliance. Maybe it's not a formal alliance, but that's an alliance. But you have- and It's also tribal leadership as opposed mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. religious. And, and they, have, make, yeah. they make alliances with them, but the thing that is it predominates in all those society is, are the tribal allegiances. So when the tribes, mm -hmm. Have, have an interest in being aligned with the Muslim Brotherhood, they are. And when, when they no longer have an interest in that, um, then they, then they mm -hmm. seek its destruction. And maybe one of the most fascinating things that happened is because of the Abraham Accords, the major thing is that there is no Arab-Israeli conflict anymore. It mm -hmm. just does not exist as a term because it's, it collapsed. Mm -hmm. But we do have a very deep uh, conflict with Hamas, with the Ahwan and with everyone that supports Hamas, just like the Sheikh that was recently released from prison, Raid Salah. Raid Salah is basically the leader of the national um, uh, Islamic uh, movement in Israel, which is the most radical, extremist, Islamist political power on the Arab street. Basically, Ram is part of the Southern uh, part of, the, of this uh, movement, but it was fascinating to see that the head of the Southern movement, uh, Mahmoud Da'abbas, uh, went to visit now recently, two days ago, uh, Raid Salah. And also members After of he got released from prison and he was yeah. in prison for inciting the murder of two Israeli policemen on the Temple Mount. Who's policemen? Who's policemen? Al-Sitawi and Kamil Shanan. So uh, 
it's we see that after the operation, the last operation in Gaza, Shomer Achomot, Guardians of the Walls. Yeah, so um, you, you, we see a very interesting process where you have Hamas and the Islamic movement in Israel, uh, in, they are joining power together and they walk together and they're not ashamed to admit it because the response of Israel this time was very weak towards violence that came from the Arab street. So they now think that everything is okay and they are on power. And, but I believe that the second, well, the next event with the Arab population in Israel is going to be far, far more radical than what we've seen so far. Sure. So now Ram is playing a very, very wise game. On the front of Ram list, you have Mansour Abbas, who said today, this morning, he says, we accept Israel as a Jewish state. But last evening, uh, uh, is a member of Knesset, Mazen Renayim, went to uh, take photo with Raed Salah, who says that Jews are making uh, matzahs for Pesach from uh, the blood of uh, Christian children. Right. And we should and we should beat the Jews, and Islam will beat the Jews, and El Aqsa is in great danger. And we will fight for Al-Aqsa by any and, means. And the Jews are and vermin. Die as shahids, etc., etc. There is absolutely no difference between Raid Salah or uh, the ideology of Sheikh Ahmed Yassin. It is exactly the same. So you cannot really say, yes, I accept the idea of a Jewish state on Globe's conference and have your party members and the head of the, the Shura committee, the Transram, uh, visiting Raid Salah. This is exactly what they call Akia, this principle of hiding your real views and playing a game of being friendly, nice, speak moderately, smile. And they're the ones who have the command of, of Naftali Bennett's uh, uh, government. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so they're getting, just today, 140 million shekels cash for local authorities and the local authorities uh, mayors they know that this money is ram painted money for their own activities and when you look back at history in 1970 uh, sheikh ahmed yassin established an organization the mujama al-islamiyah was the uh, muslim uh, organization only for humanitarian uh, purposes just uh, pharmacies and activity for children and youth movement and renovating some mosques and you know some cassette here and there to promote Islam. 20 years later they doubled the number of mosques in uh, Gaza and in uh, Judea and Samaria and they established Hamas, the militant um, Terrorist uh, branch of, of this uh, movement. And we all know what Hamas means. Um, it's now what, uh, 30, 30 years later, later. So it's, it's, it's now like, yeah, so it's a, it's a Iranian division on the thousand border and even in Lebanon. And they have, they have nearly a hundred thousand missiles that are capable yeah. of reaching and the vast So we are repeating the same process within Israel with Ram party, it's, it's exactly the same. Yeah, I agree. What do you think? Um, 
I, I, I'm, I'm, we have to, we have to finish our, our, our program. And so we have, we have two, we have two options for finishing. Uh, the mm -hmm. first one is, uh, I never introduced you to our, our viewers and our listeners who you are and where you came from. And the second thing is, how long do you think that this government is going to last? So I don't know whether we have time for both. So maybe maybe start with the one that's more interesting to you, and then we'll go to the next. One. So let's let's first about the power of the government because it relates to the conversation. Um, I think there's something very uh, there's a great paradox with this government. The weaker they are, the stronger they are. Right. Because they are so is it like the desperados? They're so despair because if one part of the puzzle is going away, the entire business is collapsing. If, and the motivation, Yair Lapid's see, he can be prime minister a few months ahead. And you have Naftali Bennett and he knows, even if he had one good poll tonight, that if he's out of the politics now, he's doomed, that's it. Gidon Sar, it's the same. Mansour Abbas, the same. He doesn't have yet uh, any real achievement. Um, just today, uh, he got this 140 million, so that's the beginning, but the, the, the deal with Ram is for billions. So that's what holds this government together. And personally, I grew up in Jerusalem. Both my parents came from uh, France. They made Aliyah. And um, I was in Golani for almost a decade. And I was uh, in education, Zionist education in Tavor Leadership Academy, trying to strengthen the Zionist and Jewish identity among uh, circular use uh, in Israel. And we had great success with it. And um, that's, that's basically the answer. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you know, Amichai Shikli really is, um, he, he's a real deal. You know, I mean, he—he's—he's a—he's he's an accidental politician. I—I I, I met uh, Amichai uh, through his leadership academy uh, in uh, in Mount uh, Tabor uh, in northern Israel, uh, where he had me come and, and lecture his students. And um, you know, it's—it's it's a wonderful place. He had a special program that he opened several years ago just for lone soldiers to help them acclimate in Israel, which I thought was incredibly important as a former lone soldier myself. Um, but, uh, he, he's, he, he, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't talk to most politicians because I really don't have that much to say to them, but, uh, Amichai is also a man of letters. He's very well read. He's an intellectual and he, he's there for the same reason that I thought I was going to go there, which was to advance ideas and ideals and things that are really important and to stand for them. And I think one of the, the greatest, um, and sense of betrayal that that you can have as somebody who claims to actually care about the things that are so important to you and then he turns around and he betrays them all and that's how i feel about naftali m you know i guess it's personal but it's also it's everything you know it's like how could how could you do that so you know and 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 of all of the seven people that that were elected to knesset with with this liar with this fake with this phony Amicha was the only one who stood by his convictions and refused to go along with this theft of leadership by a man who didn't earn it. Um, and um, so hats off to you. You can come on the podcast anytime you want. Um, 
And thanks so much. And I'm happy to have introduced you to my viewers. I, I want as many people thanks to so know much, about Colin. you as possible. All right. Well, thank you. And take care, all of you. We'll be back with another program next week. Um, and share this uh, video with your friends and subscribe to our channels and get the words out. There are there are tzaddikim uh, b'stom. Uh, there are uh, there are just people in in Sodom and Gomorrah of the Israeli Knesset. So take care. Thanks so much, and have a great week. Bye bye.